This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. In what very well could be a landmark case if it moves forward, the city of New York has filed suit against five of the biggest oil companies, BP, ExxonMobil, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, and Shell. They are also going to move the assets that they have in those companies, in those oil entities, out of uh, the investments and into others. Mayor Bill de Blasio is doing so in leading this, claiming that these companies are in part responsible for climate change and also responsible for the city having to pay out billions of dollars in cleanup from various large storms we have seen in recent years, like Superstorm Sandy. The question is whether or not this can be proven in the courts uh, and or whether or not it is a matter for state legislatures. To take a look at this case, we are joined by David Hunter, law professor at American University, and also by Thomas Lyon, who is chair of Sustainable Science, Technology, and Commerce at the University of Michigan Business School. Uh, David, great to have you with us. Tom, great to have you with us as well. Thank you both. Nice to be here. Thank you both. Uh, first, what's your reaction, David, to a suit like this being brought forward? Well, I think it's a very uh, exciting and interesting development and one that um, uh, I give credit to the city of New York for pursuing. It follows on some similar cases in California. Uh, all these are uh, recognizing the reality uh, that there are significant costs that are now being faced by cities and particularly by New York City. Uh, and uh, these costs are in part due to climate change, just as you said. Tom? Uh, I agree with that assessment overall. Um, I think it's a really interesting development. I think what the industry wants is to avoid becoming the next tobacco industry. Right. The playbook is very, very similar. And when people started bringing lawsuits against the tobacco companies, I think this was back in the 1960s, um, they, they lost for a long time. But eventually, as we all know, that changed, and the tobacco companies paid out in this enormous master settlement with 46 state attorneys general uh, in an amount of $206 billion. And so that is what the oil industry is fighting hard to avoid. So I, I guess, Thomas, the, the interesting thing about that when you look back at, at those cases is that the science behind the tobacco industry and the impact that it had on humans obviously played out. And now we have all kinds of you know warning labels that are, that are on cigarette packs. The, the science element, obviously, in this situation may impact it from some of the, the, uh, the, the motives that the, the Trump administration is following to begin with. Um, not quite following that well, question. I, well, I mean, if if science is such a a, a potential big factor in, in truly understanding the impact of the oil industry on climate change, the Trump administration, in, in some cases, is making a move to try and you know to devalue science in a lot of cases. Oh, sure, and they're trying to take all references for about climate change off the EPA website, it's funny, if you travel around the world, we're the only educated, developed country that engages in climate denialism. Every other country looks at us as a bunch of boobs for the attitude that so much of uh, our political uh, structure has taken. David? 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's absolutely true. It's uh, it's every country, developing countries as well. The, the discussion and debate over whether climate change is happening and whether uh, it's caused by human causes and the burning of fossil fuels is is, is over. Uh, there are other debates to have. And the tobacco industry example is interesting from the other side as well because it's the tobacco playbook that's guiding uh, this lawsuit in, to some extent. Uh, the original lawsuits against tobacco lost not only because of the science, but because of the claim that uh, there were a lot of different causes to an individual's uh, cancer. Uh, the individual had a choice and chose to smoke, and yeah. this made the, the things very difficult. What shifted was when the states and municipalities, or the states in particular, started to sue for, the, for their costs more generally. And that's what's happening here. New York City is suing uh, for the cost of responding to climate change, and they're not necessarily suing to prove the specific event of a specific hurricane causing a specific set of damage. So th- then in your mind, what what potentially is the burden of proof here for, uh, for th- any type of case, if it goes to court, uh, in, to be a ruling against these oil companies, David? Well, uh, the burden of proof is to prove more likely than not uh, that the pollution is causing the damage. Uh, and that they were responsible for it and acted unreasonably in causing it. In some ways, we can make this case look just like, and think about it just like any uh, normal pollution case. Uh, they, ha- they have an activity that they've known for decades, this is the allegation, that they've known for decades would cause exactly the problems that are happening. They continued to uh, produce the product, uh, uh, it's just a and that and that pollution happened and it caused the damages. So on one hand, it's a very simple case. Obviously, we're talking about a global problem, right? Uh, and that makes it a little more difficult. But they have uh, every part of the causation uh, system. They have evidence for, and I think the, they've got a very carefully thought out and well crafted lawsuit. Now, this is not the first time that, obviously, the oil industry has been dealing some of this. In fact, they're also dealing it uh, with it from California as well right now, correct, David? Uh, yes, there are uh, five or six cases in California. A couple of them uh, are very similar to, to, to the one in New York City. The other ones are uh, a little bit different, but, but all of them are, are basically the same allegations and uh, and seeking the same type of of relief uh, to to show that the fossil that the fossil fuel industry was particularly uh, unreasonable in the way that it uh, marketed a product that they knew at the same time by the way that they were uh, claiming and trying to to develop this uh, ambiguity about the climate science so they've been fueling uh, the 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 debate about climate denialism uh, and at the same time they've known. For 40 years or 50 years, that uh, uh, their product was going to do exactly what it's doing. But to do, to a degree, it may even go back further than that. And I saw in one article which you were quoted uh, about a, a linkage, uh, an organization based out in Colorado, which is linking two thirds of the pollution since the Industrial Revolution to uh, to the oil industry. Uh, that's right. Two 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 thirds of of the um, uh, of, of CO2 pollution. Right. Uh, to to the carbon majors, what they call the carbon majors. And this is a part of the, the lawsuit here. The five companies 
that are being sued have been linked to 11% of carbon dioxide emissions. 11%. That's a heck of a lot more than you or I are responsible for. Right. We're joined by David Hunter of American University, Thomas Lyon of the University of Michigan. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at NanLoney21. Uh, Tom, when you look at this case, what is it that that is driving it now? I mean, because obviously this has been an issue for quite some time. What, what do you think is behind the push now by by a variety of cities to bring these suits forward? Well, I think in part it may be a response to the Trump administration's hostility toward climate science uh, and the plan to um, withdraw the United States from the Paris Agreement. Um, there's there's a remarkable irony. Um, around some of these suits in that um, a similar kind of lawsuit was brought back in 2010 by the state of Connecticut against American Electric Power. So that's an electric generating company, not an oil company. Right. But it was a similar kind of suit for damages based on uh, climate change. And the Supreme Court rendered a decision that said, well, under the law, EPA is required to deal with this issue of climate change. Therefore, that supersedes the claims of uh, these uh, plaintiffs. So it would be a remarkable irony if the Supreme Court were to block these lawsuits because EPA is charged with solving the problem while the EPA sits there and denies that there even is a problem. So then does it, does it potentially mean that it could be almost a kind of a, a bumping down the chain effect in that it may end up being, if the EPA is taking one uh, kind of tone on, on this issue, that state legislatures may have to? State legislatures are already acting. California has acted. The northeastern states created the regional greenhouse gas initiative years ago. So there is a lot of action at the state level already. Yeah, and by the way, the the New York City lawsuit is well-crafted to avoid the same preemption arguments that – that led to the dismissal of, of, uh, among other things, an earlier case brought by uh, the Inuit uh, in – in a case from the village of Kivalina in California. Uh, and, and, of course, if, if the Trump administration rolls back and argues that there's no authority at the federal level to regulate CO2, which is part of their argument, uh, then that also will affect the preemption going on. That's the irony that's being being noted. As, as you uh, both have mentioned, uh, part of this is uh, the, the understanding of the oil companies. Uh, knowing for decades uh, that this was a problem and that they did nothing to address it. And from what I understand, David, you also have uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, who is also looking into this as well, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right, uh, as well as the Attorney General from Massachusetts. Uh, the and, and that goes to your question about why now. I think uh, in addition to perhaps the broader dialogue that continues in the U.S. And under the Trump administration, you also have uh, both the study you referred to in Colorado that, that, that documents what the different companies' contributions to climate change are, right. but you also have uh, emerging over the last year or 18 months the fuller picture of what the companies knew and didn't disclose and their choice where they publicly, at the same time, they publicly decided to obfuscate climate science and lead a campaign to, uh, to lead to climate denialism and block regulation. And at the same time, internally, they were making business decisions based on the projections of climate change uh, that they knew to be right. Uh, and that, that disconnect, as well as their sort of uh, public posture, is what's leading 
uh, Mr. Schneiderman, and uh, I think also is definitely fueling these, this claim as well. We're, well, and I, go ahead, Tom. Place where there's this um, remarkable parallel with the tobacco case. Um, there's a wonderful book called Merchants of Doubt that was written by Naomi Oreskes uh, a couple of years ago. And the tobacco industry followed exactly the same kind of denialism strategies. Uh, and that really came back to haunt them once that mm-hmm. was established. And I think it's quite well established now that um, many of the oil companies, Exxon in particular, um, funded climate denialism for a long time while knowing better. Well, David, what is the status of, of, of the cases that are going on in, in California right now? Well, uh, they were just filed in the fall as well. Okay. There's been a motion right. to, to move venue um, uh, from the state courts to the federal courts, and, and several of them. Uh, they want The oil companies want to have the cases in federal court par- partially because they have some rulings already in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, so that, that's where it sits. Um, yesterday as well, we should note that uh, Exxon filed a petition in Texas, uh, sort of a sideward volley against the California cases in which they alleged that the city officials uh, that were involved in, and government officials that were involved in those lawsuits were doing it as a way to suppress the First Amendment rights of, 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 of ExxonMobil. Uh, this is something similar that they've tried against the attorney generals, of New York and Massachusetts, uh, and I su- fully suspect that they'll try to supplement their petition in Texas to include New York uh, City. David Hunter from American University joining us along with Thomas Lyon of uh, the University of Michigan. Your comments welcome by phone at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment on Twitter, and I'll be sure to bring it up uh, through that manner, at BizRadio111, B-I-Z Radio 111. Or you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. To the phones in Boulder, Colorado, Bridget is on the line. Bridget, go ahead. Hey, good morning. I had a question for you guys really quick. What do you think would happen if um, they win the lawsuit? What kind of precedent is that going to set for all the other cities in the whole United States that have absolutely been impacted by climate change? Well, that's uh, that's exactly – there, there are um, uh, many cities, including Boulder, that uh, have, a, have impacts from climate. Uh, and uh, they're going to look at this and say, say – why should our taxpayers have to carry the, this whole burden? We should shift some of the cost to those people who and those entities, those companies that, co- that caused it. So I think that goes to the uh, the concern that Thomas mentioned about uh, the oil industry going the way of the tobacco industry. But the reality is is that they're they've been peddling a product that uh, has significant uh, consequences and and been. Uh, not telling the truth about it to the public. Tom? So in that way, they're very similar to tobacco. Tom, your comments? Uh, I totally agree with David in this, that uh, it would create an enormous precedent. And you can picture most states around the country lining up to uh, recover some of their costs. Florida, for example, is incurring enormous costs to prepare for and deal with the effects of climate change. So I'd expect them to be lining up as well. Would it be, and, and Bridget, thank you for the call, Thomas, would, would it be more of a push in your mind from the state level, or would we continue to see the cities? As you mentioned with the state of Florida, uh, we've talked about it on this show, how the city of Miami has obviously incurred a variety of costs in preparing for uh, potential sea level rise. So is it driven, you think, in the future by the states or by individual cities? 
Uh, it could be both. You know, in the United States, we have a lot of states where the state is red and a city is blue, for example. Right, so right. it could be one leading city, as New York City has just demonstrated, but it could easily be state level, too, I think. David? Yeah, absolutely. And there's no, um, uh, there's no reason why either a state that's incurred costs because they've done a statewide adaptation plan, for example, or or take another cost to, to prepare for the impacts of climate change, uh, it's, you know, they have damage too. Uh, and so there's nothing preventing them other than perhaps the politics, as Thomas mentioned, from, uh, from bringing a case as well. I, I guess, Tom, the, the question for a lot of people, is, and when we're talking about this type of a case and we're thinking about these types of storms, obviously a lot of people are referring to, to Superstorm Sandy and, and other hurricanes that have been there. But obviously there are a variety of other uh, weather events that that could very well be playing into this as well. Certainly. And I think it's a lot easier for a state or a city to make the argument that we're having to incur these costs to deal with climate adaptation in a broad uh, fashion. So they don't necessarily want to say, you know, Hurricane Sandy or whatever the particular event is the only thing they're dealing with. They need to mount a broad defense. And that way they don't have to get into the question of, well, did climate change really cause this particular storm? Because that's not really relevant. And, and I guess, David, when you're talking about a city like New York, and especially in the wake of Sandy, there was so much focus on lower Manhattan and, and the potential, well, not potential, but the flooding that we did see during that storm and the economic impact on that part of New York City, which obviously has Wall Street down there. You have a lot of uh, Fortune 500 companies that are down there as well. There was, a, there was a significant economic impact of having a lot of those companies not up and running for a significant period of time. Yeah, that's right. And if you look at the complaint, they actually are not asking for compensation from from the impacts of climate change directly. They're they're asking for the for the cost of preparing uh, and the cost spent to harden infrastructure and and prepare for climate change, which goes to the point that Thomas was making that that's a uh, an easier causation. That's a very clear and general causation. That's not to say that you couldn't make a case uh, on some weather events that that there's been a contribution and an attribution to climate change uh, and and ask for the damages from that. And I think we'll see, as we actually did in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, there were a couple of cases, uh, pretty low profile, but I think we'll see uh, those types of cases too. But they are much harder to um, uh, prove the causation. But the science is getting better on attributing uh, impacts uh, and severity of impacts of certain weather events. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments via the phone. Or if you can't get to the phone, send us a comment on Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is (coughs) at DanLoney21. I'll ask both of you. Tom, I'll start with you. How do you see this case playing out then? Especially, as you alluded to, with all of the kind of history uh, behind it from the tobacco uh, suits. I hesitate to try to predict how this particular case will play out, but I think if you look at the larger picture, the history of the tobacco lawsuits um, built over time. It took repeated suits. People eventually worked out which arguments made the most sense and how could they make those cases most credibly. I'm driven to think here about O.J. Simpson, actually, um, kind of in reference to something David said a few minutes ago. The standards of proof are very different than uh, in a criminal case. So it was impossible to prove O.J. Simpson uh, had murdered Nicole 
uh, in a criminal case, but he was found guilty in a civil suit and uh, forced to pay $25 million in a punitive award. So uh, the standard of proof that would be required for these is not going to be um, beyond a reasonable doubt. It's going to be much lower. David? Yeah, I think this is a very well-crafted lawsuit. It's it's, uh, completely defensible. It's it's, uh, on one level, it's just uh, you cause pollution that we have to prepare for, uh, and you should contribute to paying for for our costs. Uh, and that's that, that wouldn't be that complicated if we weren't dealing with uh, uh, some of the broader issues of climate change. And I think that this has narrowed the, uh, by narrowing what they're asking for in remedy, uh, by focusing on on costs that New York City is already incurring and that uh, is going to have to incur in the future. Uh, I think that uh, I'm very optimistic about this suit. And as Thomas mentioned, if it's, if it's not this round of suits, this is inexorable. Uh, the, what's really driving these suits is that the impacts of climate change are real and they're now. Yeah. Uh, and when people are damaged, uh, they should be able to look for people who caused it. I guess the other part to it, Thomas, which also is interesting, I mean, obviously the oil industry uh, is focused on this. Uh, are there other sectors? And I was just thinking off the top of my head, you know, could the auto industry be be seen as partly culpable here because of the pollution coming out of vehicles for, for decades? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I would first go to the coal industry, which okay. has a much more direct uh, impact. But, yeah, how do we allocate blame between the uh, oil and gas sector and the automobile sector for emissions that come out of vehicles? And, I and think it could be fun to watch the two industries fight about that. And, and especially considering the fact we had the VW issues a year ago, where they were basically trying to cheat around the rules to be able to you know, keep some of these cars on the road. Yeah, absolutely. And apparently Ford is now being charged with something similar in some yeah. of its trucks. David, your thoughts? Well, I think that the the sort of unreasonableness, which we look for in tort law, of the behavior uh, is motivated with the fossil fuel industry about how they were pushing and driving the, 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 the climate denialism. Uh, and that's something that uh, drives their potential liability. Uh, we don't necessarily have that in the auto industry until maybe, as you say, the uh, deliberate lying about their pollution standards and their miles per gallon standards and their efficiency. And then you start to say they weren't just selling a product. They were uh, committing a fraud. Uh, and if if that can, goes forward, then their liability starts to look more uh, uh more like the oil industry. But when you think about it, and we haven't really touched on this a lot, but I think it's good to do this towards the end here, is the fact that, David, this is going to be a fight in court. And obviously, whatever the decision is, there will probably be appeals on it uh, you know, from one side or the other. But it is also such a political battle as well. Yeah, it, this is going to be a, a, a big fight uh, in the courts and uh, in the sort of political culture. I think you know it's the it, it, the industry is is uh, has to face up to the facts that uh, we're we're sunsetting the fossil fuel industry uh, and it may take us a, a, a while, but uh, that's what we're going to have to do because of climate change, uh, and uh, they have they have liabilities that they're going to have to deal with. Uh, partly they're going to respond by trying to either cap those liabilities or uh, do whatever they can to avoid them. Uh, and that may become very political. Uh, this is the opening round, uh, uh, and we're going to be talking about this for uh, many years. Tom? 
Uh, I agree with David that this is the uh, sunset of the oil industry. Two of the things that really sent that message home uh, in recent years were uh, when the Norwegian sovereign uh, trust fund decided it was going to divest of oil and gas investments. And of course, that money is based on oil and gas. So this is a decision to get out while the getting is good. And then the Rockefeller Brothers Trust, which again was built on oil money, has decided that it's divesting from oil and gas. So I think those are really uh, important signals that uh, the industry is really facing uh, a sunset at this point. Great to have you both with us. Thank you very much, Tom. All the best. David, thank you as well. Fun talking with you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.